you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 115. It's also printed in your song sheet, and you can take a look at it there. We have been, as a church, moving through, I think this is eight or nine now, uh, different weeks, different uh, chapters in the great Psalms, the Psalter, these, these books right in the middle of our Bible, these books that were the songbook of Jesus and his time. And as we've said throughout each of these services, let me say again a few things just so we're oriented to the Psalms. These were Hebrew poems that were meant to be sung. And so, um, in fact, there are churches today still that that is what they sing. They don't sing uh, the great hymns like Great is Thy Faithfulness. They don't sing newer songs like Not To Us or The Way. They, they sing from the, the Psalms, and that's great, and that's fine. And we, as a church, have done that here and there. There's been songs that we have sung that have been pulled right from the Psalms. But that's what this is. It's, you need to think of it that way. It's poetry that's meant to be sung. And it's always just good to remember, this was Jesus's hymn book. This was the early church's hymn book. And so we've made our way through, not in any kind of logical order. I've honestly just cherry-picked the Psalms I wanted us to look at, Psalms that have been important to me. And I've encouraged you by saying, hopefully, uh, these Psalms, some of them might be your new best friends along the journey of life, the highs, the lows, all the things that we, we go through. And we've seen Psalms of Lament, those are psalms that can honestly sound like songs of complaint, uh, but the important thing to remember in the psalms, those complaining sounding psalms that are lament, they're, they're called that because they're directed to God. They're not complaining to one another about things and the hardships in life. They're, they're directed towards him, and so that's okay, and that ought to encourage us. If you ever go through something hard, if you ever have gone through something hard, if you ever will go through something hard, it's okay to be honest to God and say, God, why? Where are you? I feel like I'm all alone. Aren't you with me? Honest statements like that, honest prayers. God's okay with our honesty. And we've, we've seen some of those. There's been psalms that have been wisdom psalms, psalms that have sounded kind of like the book of Proverbs. And, um, and then there's been psalms of praise. And in our psalm today, Psalm 115, which again is there for you, is it's a mixed type of psalm. It's definitely praise, but it's meant to be instructive to God's people. We don't know the context. There's only speculation. We don't know if this was a psalm of David, one of the others around that time. Many scholars uh, acknowledge that after God's people had been, uh, you know, they had been taken into exile, the northern tribe, the southern tribe, because of their sin, they were taken away, they were brought back, and, and scholars note that this psalm in particular uh, played an important part in post-exile times for God's people, but probably it didn't start then, probably its origins go back. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about some of those comments. So we can only guess, is my point, on, on the context. But what I want to do for just a few minutes this morning, I'll, I'll move us through it and say a little bit about how it's structured, the stanzas, but I, I kind of want to just talk a little devotionally to us as a church. So as I said, I picked the Psalms for this series based on kind of what I wanted. And I kind of knew all the while, as we got closer and closer to this date, to this anniversary, that I wanted to talk about Psalm 115. We, I knew we were going to sing, not to us, from verse 1 again. Uh, and I knew that would be there. 
But as I kept reading this, this psalm, these 18 verses, I just kept thinking, yeah, that's the one. We'll end our summer in the Psalms uh, here. And it's perfect summer, Sebastopol County, Sonoma County day, right? Uh, the sun will come out around one today, uh, but it is kind of the end of summer. Uh, and so this is a good, a good one to look at. Just so you also know what, what's coming, you can uh, be prepared. Starting next week, we'll be back inside at the Adventist building, and we will start our series in the book of Romans. And so uh, looking forward to, to that. You can read up this week in chapter one. We won't go very far next week. We'll kind of set our, our table to the book of Romans, but that is where we will be headed here uh, after, after this week. Psalm 115. So this psalm, as I mentioned, is, is a mixed type of psalm in terms of the format. It's not a lament. It's, it's praise, but it also has instruction. Uh, there are really three stanzas. There's a stanza of eight verses, then in the middle a stanza of three, and then a final stanza of eight, although I'm going to cheat and break that final stanza up into two. So this is a four-point sermon today coming out of this psalm. We're going to see first off from that first stanza that only God deserves honor and glory and, and praise. Only God deserves honor and glory and praise. And therefore, we're going to see that we must trust him, trust him as our help and our shield. And that's going to lead us to recognize that God promises and we need to ask him to bless us. And then finally, in response, we should bless and praise God. So those are the four movements through this psalm. Only God deserves glory, honor, and praise. Therefore, we must trust him as our help and shield. God will bless us. And in response, we must praise and bless God. So let's take a look together. First, only God deserves glory. Verse one, you should have it memorized by now after singing it and hearing it. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, be the glory as the NIV says, or to your name, give glory glory, not to us. I, I have friends outside of Soma, pastor friends and others, and this last week sharing with them uh, what was happening this Sunday, and all of them offered their congratulations, and what a milestone, and, and all those kind of things. Uh, and it really is. I, I've been telling our kids, you know, starting a church is, has some analogies with starting a business. Um, we we had no money at the beginning, and so we needed seed money, and we got that from our district, and that allowed us to get a sound system and the church trailer. It was so fun uh, seeing the little white church trailer get pulled. Uh, I think it was Friday now. It's been a busy couple of days. Uh, so Phil Simmons picked up uh, the trailer, and uh, we met at the Adventist building. We loaded in all the gear, and then uh, my truck was following behind, and I just watched the trailer, and man, I was taken back to over 15 years ago uh, when uh, Rich Wells bought, we, we found a trailer place. And so he went and picked that trailer out. And then we went right up the road on Santa Rosa Avenue to a sign shop and gave them our logo and said, we want this trailer to be obviously all about Soma Church. And so they put those decals on. And and then we, every week, uh, would, would that trailer lived here and it would get pulled from here to the hotel and unloaded and then loaded up and back here. And uh, after a couple of weeks, Rich realized there's got to be one good right way to pack that trailer with all the crazy things Paul wants to have. 
uh, load and unload. And so he, if you ever, if you get a chance today, carefully uh, walk behind the trailer and look inside. Rich engineered the inside of it. There's uh, these cylinders where microphone stands can stand and not fall over. There's a frame uh, of spots where speakers used to fit perfectly. Uh, the, the big sound rack right behind me, that gets cinched down right in the middle, right over the axles. So the weight is, I mean, he, he thought it all through. And so that thing became just a regular, regular thing. And so Rich, it was just fun to remember your engineering mind at work there. So, but in all of it, not to us, you know, we, we, we aren't sitting out here today celebrating 15 years because um, people are knocking on our door to write a book about us. No, they're, they're not. And even if they were, you know, we would, I hope and pray still say not to us. It's not about us getting the praise and fame, but it's about God and his faithfulness. Just like small businesses often don't make it. Church plants don't often make it. There's, there's just statistic after statistic that most church plants, and I don't remember the exact percentage now, but most don't make it past year three. Um, church plants are, um, again, starting out with nothing and they're trying to grow a congregation big enough to be self-sustaining in terms of the offering and the giving. And, and there's just costs and rent and I mean, whatever you name it. And um, and it's hard work. And so it was fun to see those of you stand at the beginning that were here 15 years ago. And as I said, to remember others who were part of those early days and God's called them elsewhere. All of it though, Soma 15 years is and should be about only God deserving the glory. Not to us, O Lord, not to Soma, but to your name be the glory. And then as he says, for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. So you should have heard me say this by now a bunch of times. And if you haven't, you need to hear me say it. And, and you need to know this term, steadfast love is how ESV puts it. This is God's covenant love, his faithful love. Or as Sally Lloyd-Jones says in the Jesus Storybook Bible, his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. It's his covenant, faithful love. And friends, um, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, if your sins have been forgiven and you're following him, he has made a covenant with you, with me. We, we are in a covenant. It's called the new covenant. It's a covenant that came about because of the blood of Jesus. It's not like older covenants that required um, two parties to do things. This is all about what God has done in the person and work of Jesus, the blood of the new covenant. And it is never stopping, unbreaking, always and forever, never giving up covenant faithful love. He loves us and he won't stop loving us. We're in that relationship and we can't get out of it. We, we try sometimes, we get angry at God and some people take a step away, but if God has saved you, you're, you're saved, you're his. And we then together are in this covenantal relationship with, with him. And it's because of his covenant faithful love and his faithfulness that we say not to us, but to you be the glory. The psalmist then moves on to say, why do the nations, that is those outside of the covenant, so again, we, we have to step and look at it 
through the cross of Jesus. We, we expand the meaning and application of this, but for, for God's people at that time, it was the nation of Israel that was in a covenant relationship with God. And all the other nations, they, they would mock and they would say, where is their God? Where is he? And the answer, verse three, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. I love that, that statement, that verse. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He is the only sovereign. Psalm 135, verse six says it like this. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Or Isaiah 46.10, another great verse. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, this is God now saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He, he is sovereign. That's why he alone deserves praise. Because of his covenant love, his faithfulness, and his sovereignty. He's in charge. He's in charge of us as a church. He has seen to it that we have made it to 15 years old. And by his grace, we'll make it to 30 and more if he sees fit. These nations that, that ask, where is their God? The psalmist goes on at verse four to speak of, of their idols. So again, those not in a relationship with God, and especially in the time when this was written, a lot of those nations, they, they were idolatrous. They literally made statues and, and things to, to worship and to sacrifice to. And so verse four, the psalmist reminds Israel, and we are reminded that idols, they're silver and gold, the work of human hands. They may have mouths, but they don't speak. They may have eyes, but they don't really see. They, they may have ears, but no, they don't hear. Noses, they do not smell. Um, this is a bit of a uh, satirical jab, if you will, at, at these idols. Noses, though they don't smell. Verse 7, they have hands, but they don't feel. Feet, but they don't walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. And then the punchline of verse 8, those who make them, they become like them. So do all who trust in them. In other words, the point is, if these so-called gods, and they're not gods, they're, they're not anything like God, they're, they're idols, they're, they're lifeless is the point, they're useless. And so, so Israel's given a warning. Look, those who, who trust in them and follow them, they become like them as in lifeless, useless. So be warned. And, and again, God's people then were, were tempted to follow idols. It may seem weird to us and think, really? They would have been tempted to worship a statue? And maybe that is weird to us. In parts of the world, it's not weird. Maybe it's weird here. But, but we know, we ought to know in our day, there's other things that are idols. Because here's, here's the bigger point. An idol is something that takes God's place. So if God is in the heavens, the covenant-making, keeping God, the one who deserves all glory and honor, if something else, a statue or a career, a hobby, a relationship, good things, anything that, that is the most important thing in our lives 
is a, an idol unless it's God. So there's always the need to, to heed the words in the New Testament to, to guard yourselves from idols. What, what, what is either creeping its way into first place in your life or has creeped its way in to first place in your life? Um, I was reflecting as I have been a little bit each week on different things Tim Keller has written. Tim Keller, of course, um, pastor in New York, and he went home to be with the Lord uh, not too long ago, and someone that has had an impact on me in his writing and teaching and speaking. He had a lot to say about idols over the course of his ministry. And so he said this, he said, if you make work, for example, because some of us out here work, we have jobs, we have careers. If you don't yet, if you're a student, you know, it could be your studies, okay? But just consider it. He said, if you make work your identity, therefore your idol, and you succeed, it'll go to your head. And if you make work your identity, your idol, and you fail, it'll, it'll go to your heart. In other words, either way, it's going to crush you. Either way, if, if this idol, this identity of work, career, advancement is something that's most important and you succeed, you're going to think it's all about you. And the reality is for a lot of people, it, it fails them and they don't succeed and then it gets to their heart and crushes them. And, and you can put other things in place here. A relationship, if you make the rela- a relationship most important and, and it goes well, you're going to think you did it and when there's heartbreak in a relationship, it crushes you. And on and on these things can be good things. The problem is when good things become first things and we experience this. So idols, they're they're maybe different for us now than they were for God's people. But in the end, verse four, idols are lifeless. They they are useless. They don't don't fulfill us. We, We think they might, but in the end, they let us down when they fail us or we get too proud when they when they when we advance in them so only god only god deserves the praise he is the one who has covenant love and is faithful he's the one who's in the heavens and sovereign and he's the only true living god not like lifeless idols so that's the first thing this psalm says and so for us again as a as a church only god deserves the glory for what we are and what we will become it's interesting too, those opening words, not to us, O Lord, they, they are very famous in all different spheres uh, of literature and in art. Um, Shakespeare quoted them in uh, his writing, uh, the story King Henry, saying the Latin phrase after, um, uh, after a famous uh, win on the battlefield, non nobis domine gloria, not to us. Oh, Lord, be the glory. They've shown up in other writings as well. So a lot of people know that phrase, but it's good for us to just stop and sit on it. Do we, do we believe it? That anything in our life, whether it's our church, whether it's our career, whether it's a relationship, whether it's our family, not to us. Let, let's be people that reflect away, push away the praise and say, God, you alone deserve the glory because of your covenant and faithful love, because of your faithfulness, because you're sovereign, because you're not like lifeless idols, you, you're faithful. Only you deserve the glory. 
in the middle of the psalm, verses 9, 10, and 11, the second stanza, respond to that. Since only God deserves the glory, therefore, he is the one we need to trust as our help and our shield. Listen to these verses. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. And I'm going to add one more. O Soma, trust in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. You can almost hear in this cadence how it would have been sung. There would have been a worship leader reading, saying the first part, and then the congregation would have responded. I I think we need to do that. So here we go. You look down at your Psalm 115, either in your handout, in your Bible. I'll read the first part of those verses, and you respond with me. Ready? Oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. Oh, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. Osoma, trust in the Lord. That one you didn't see, but you did pretty well. You know, we, we read that phrase, you or they who fear the Lord. And by the way, again, Israel, that spoke of the whole congregation. And then the house of Aaron, that was the line where the priests would come from. And then anyone who fears the Lord, be it just kind of a way to summarize the whole of, the, of God's people. Maybe it referred to those that were uh, Gentiles or, or part of the nations that were starting to uh, convert to follow Yahweh. Maybe, maybe that's who it was directed to. But the point is, um, those who fear the Lord, we, we have a hard time with that phrase because we, we hear fear and we think of terror. We think of Chucky or Freddy Krueger or, or, you know, those kinds of things. That is not what it means to fear the Lord. Our God does not want us to be afraid of him the way we should be afraid of those types of things or, or you know, something scary. To, to fear the Lord. I love how Alex Moyer is, describes it in his commentary. He says it like this. To fear the Lord is trust and reverence. It's the simple intimacy of trust in God. Think of him as our father. Do you trust? Simple intimacy of, of trust balanced by the respect and awe of reverence. That's what it means to fear God. It's, it's this trust in him, this intimacy we have, but, but it's marked with a reverence. He's God. He's in the heavens. He does what he pleases. He alone is sovereign. Right? Our breath right now is not because we're sustaining it. He sustains us. This day, this church, right? There, there, that's, you start to go, wow. Like, God alone does as he pleases, as I read from Isaiah. And so that's what it means to fear him. It means I'll trust him. He's a good, good father. But I recognize there's, there's a reverence that needs to be in place with him. Only God deserves our praise, the praise, the glory, the honor. Therefore, we have to trust him. And notice, the trust is he is our help, 
our shield. That, that phrase, those phrases are used all throughout the Psalms. God is who we can trust in. Trust in. He's trustworthy. When my kids were all little, I'd love it because we'd go to the playground and we'd climb on the big toys. And I'd love it when they'd be on like a platform, maybe six, seven feet or so higher than me. And they would be standing there. And we worked out this, this pattern where they would stand there. And when I, I'd say, wait, but when, when dad claps, dad's ready and you can trust that I'll catch you. And, and they waited and, and I would clap and they would jump. And for me, the joy was partly due to the fact that Boy, there was a season when I could still catch them. Uh, not anymore. But also, just their uninhibited trust. I mean, they just jumped. There wasn't a, I'm afraid his dad's not going to come through. They, they knew. When, when dad clapped, here we go. And I just, I love that. And I think I loved it because it's a picture of, of how our Heavenly Father wants us to trust him. When, when he tells us things, church, in his word, let's, let's just go. Let's just trust him. He's, he's trustworthy. We have to fear him. We have to balance this, this intimate trust with reverence. He's God. He, he may have things that we would do differently if we were in charge and we were God, but let's remember we're not, and let's just be people who trust him. And as a church, let's trust him going forward. Let's trust him with what he's called a church to be in general and with the direction he'll lead Soma. Oh, Soma, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is our help and our, our shield. We can trust him because he's our help. He's our help. Do you ever need help? I need help every hour in so many things. And our shield, the picture there of, of a warrior behind some type of shield protecting from Enemy fire. You ever have enemy fire? Friendly fire, hopefully not. Attacks. We, we need shields in life. And God says, I'm your shield. Trust me. I'm, I'm there to help you, church. I'm there to be your shield. Only God deserves our praise. Therefore, we have to trust him. He's our help and our shield. Verses 12 to 15. God promises to bless Let's take a look at these, these verses. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He's walking through the same group that he just called out to trust. He will, verse 13, bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. That's a great sentence. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. For God to bless, for God to bestow his favor. Um, th this is not a promise to make your, your wallet or your, your pocketbook thick, to make your bank account have more zeros and more commas. But that's not what this is. It's the promise of his, his presence, his goodness, his favor. He will bless doesn't mean life is always easy. It doesn't mean there aren't struggles and challenges. And as a church, I was recounting this week too, some of the, the ups and downs, some of the times of, of losing people, of, of um, wanting to, to do things, and then all of a sudden 
There's a pandemic of things like wildfires, things like changing locations and, and the challenges that come with that. There's just been challenges. And some of you know of some of those and have walked, walked through those things of hearing people confess and admit to us as a family of, of some sin and failure, but saying, God has forgiven us. Would you forgive and would you help? And we as a church have said, yes, of course, we'll, we'll walk with you. And, and there's all those things. And that's still God blessing because that's real life. I don't know anyone who has the so-called perfect life who just everything goes right. There are people who we think have that, but they don't because none of us do. Life has ups and downs, trials, struggles, some big, some small. And yet God promises to bless, to bestow his favor. God will bless. And again, it's a promise. He will. He will bless both the small and the great. His blessing isn't just on big, large churches, you know, families that seem to have it all together, individuals. His blessing is on the small and the great. And that leads then to a response of blessing and praise. Verse 14, may the Lord, now he's, the psalmist is speaking to the people, may the Lord give you increase May you and your children, may you be blessed by the Lord who made the heaven, who made heaven and earth. Again, probably a pointer back to the promise in Genesis that God would, would bless the first humans, Adam and Eve, and they would increase. There's a promise now to, to seek God and to say, God will bless. And therefore then, verse 16, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man, those who are dead, they, they don't praise the Lord. No, but verse 18, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Isn't that funny? God promises to bless and we are to bless God. And that's always been just a weird thing to think about. God's blessing on us and we bless God. Obviously, we don't bless God in the same way. Our blessing, friends, to God is, is by our praise. It's by our trust. It's, it's by us acknowledging who he is. And I, and I love how this psalm ends. Not to us it begins, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your covenant faithful love and your faithfulness. And now in the end, after the call to trust, after the call to recognize that God will bless, now in response, we, we will bless you, God. We will praise you. We will trust you. We will honor you. And then those last three words in English, praise the Lord. That's the Hebrew word, hallelujah. That's another one to remember. We sing it enough. We're going to sing it in a moment. When you sing that word, hallelujah, it's, it's praise the Lord. Well, we do that as a church. I think we've done it for 15 years. I, I ask, will we keep doing it? Will we continue to praise the Lord from this time forth and on, however many days and years he gives us? Only he is worthy of our praise so let's trust him. He's our help and our shield. Let's, let's let him bless us as he longs to do. And then let's bless him in return and praise. And that's, that's the layout of, of this psalm. And I think it serves as a great challenge to us today on this anniversary celebration. Would you stand with me? I want to pray in a moment. And then we are going to sing one final song. With, with those words, hallelujah, in it. And our ultimate hallelujah, friends, is because of Jesus, because he came to make 
this covenant relationship possible. And um, we want to thank him for that. We're going to sing. I will then dismiss all of us up to the pool. Um, I'll say another word about that. And, and let's continue just for the rest of this morning to be all about praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And, and let me just invite, we have some guests here today. So thankful that you would come to experience our celebration, to be part of the baptisms. Um, so whether you're a guest and this is new to you, or, or if you've been around Soma for a while, but finally some things are clicking, um, God longs to have that covenant relationship with you. And it doesn't just happen. It requires a, a person, an individual, trusting in God through the work of Jesus, his life, his sinless, perfect life, and then his work on the cross to forgive sins. And maybe today's the day that you're ready to say, I'm, I'm done trying to be my own God, be my own savior. The idols in my life, the things I've been trusting in, sometimes they, they don't fail me, but often they do fail me. I, I need someone else. And, and God is offering himself through Jesus. And, and, if, and if today's the day, it's just as simple as you praying a simple prayer where you say, God, I admit I'm in need of a savior. I'm, I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven and I will trust in Jesus. I will put my, my stake on him um, for his work and his forgiveness. And, and we're gonna see that and talk about that in a minute at the pool. But if, if God's doing that in your heart today, I hope you'll come find me uh, after the service, somewhere between lunch and the football game and cornhole and basketball and all the events of the afternoon. Come talk to me. I'd love to help you in that commitment, that decision. So let's pray. And then let's sing hallelujah for the cross. Father, thank you again for a day just to acknowledge that we, we want you to receive all the glory and all the praise, <clears throat> not us, but you as a church. And we thank you that we can take a few minutes to think through these things, to recognize that you alone deserve the praise, that you call us to trust you, that you will bless and we in turn need to praise. Help us as a church continue to live that way as individuals, as part of this church and as a church body. Thank you, Jesus, for making yourself the way, the truth, and the life as we've already sung. We, we sing now, hallelujah, for the cross. We praise you for, for the work you accomplished. In Jesus' name, amen.